Welcome to the podcast of Amago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good morning, Amago. Uh, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here. It's been a few months since I um, came up front, so some of you may be going, oh my gosh, look at his hair. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I've had a little arthritis in my back, so I thought I ought to grow my hair to match where I look like on the evolutionary chart. So that's just kind of uh, what's, what's been going on in my life. But um, it's good to be with you today to be able to uh, continue looking at uh, the story the story that we started at the beginning of the year takes us through uh, basically God letting himself be known through a live drama here on earth. And so there have been several things that have uh, come and gone as far as values and people and, and epic um, a miracle, supernatural, kind of like suspending the normal laws of the story to intervene and say, pay attention here. And one of those was Jesus coming to earth. And we just spent some time looking at all four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how they basically um, said all those things that have been promised, look, here's the person the stepping into those promises, all the failures that have been had, he's stepping into correcting those failures. And so Jesus becomes that centerpiece. And, and as the uh, gospels close um, and Acts begins, Jesus ascends into heaven. And you have this book called Acts. And that's kind of like an abbreviated form that, that traditionally is called the Acts of the Apostles. But it's basically the consequences of Jesus having been on earth. The consequences of Jesus having been with some people was that those people leaked Jesus all over the globe. And as other people became infected with that contagion, they kind of sneezed it and coughed it all over. And I know that's a terrible image in an Ebola country uh, right now, but I want you to understand that, that Christianity went viral. Not in a way that, that killed lives, but actually in a way that saved lives. It, it, it's a, um, an anti-deadly virus. It's a life-giving virus. And it essentially went from something like about 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2 to about 300 years later, 25 million followers. Okay, that's just a crazy exponential growth. And part of the reason, perhaps, is that it was illegal. Seems like Christianity works best when it's illegal. You know, we legalize it and everybody goes, oh, oh well. So maybe that'll happen with our measure on pot, who knows. But when we kind of look at the idea of the church being legal or illegal, when the church was illegal, it flourished, okay? The church that's flourishing today is an illegal church in China, estimated to be growing by over a million professions of faith a month. Yeah, that's a crazy growth to where you say to somebody, hey, 
Would you like to kind of like quit your normal life? Would you like to be looked at as somebody who's no longer smart? Would you like to give up your freedom and be put in prison? You could trust Jesus today. And a million people a month are going, count me in. That's just kind of a crazy thing. And that's what was happening in Acts. It's illegal. People are being put in prison from leaders like uh, Peter and Paul and John to just common ordinary followers who get uh, herded up. In fact, when we look at Paul today, he was on that kind of mission. He'd been given a certificate, uh, basically like a, a warrant that gave him permission to arrest anyone who professed Christ, bring them to Jerusalem where they would at least be beaten if not executed. So, so Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, is one of the people who is on board of enforcing the illegality of Christianity, driving Christianity underground, looking for someone to catch or snare so that he might end what he thought was a blight on Judaism. So his certificate actually says that he's being given permission to go find believers and the place he looks is in synagogues, which today just seems like you're not gonna find many there. But when you look at the idea, that was really where discussion happened. And Paul felt like, I've discovered something here. The God of the story, the God of the Old Testament, who spoke to Abraham and told him that there would be a people, is the God who spoke to me in, in a vision. And it's the same God and it's the same story. And I need to go now to a synagogue and tell them that Jesus is the hope that we've been hoping, the truth that we've been believing, the fulfillment to the promises that we've heard. And for Paul, it wasn't a different story. It was continuity, not discontinuity. Something made sense to him that had felt missing. And it was more like a linchpin than some peripheral part. It was what's holding this together between a God with a story and a people who are sometimes faithful and not faithful to come to the idea that what's going to make a people a people is when they have a new Adam and eventually a new king and that they would see themselves as a new people. And that's Jesus. And, and Paul realizes he can tie both of these trains together with a Jesus who has been showing himself as God through the Old Testament and comes to earth as God that you and I might experience the person and character of God, not just when we check out, but when we check in, that when, when you and I say, I'm in, that we start to experience something then. This isn't just simply a get some fire insurance and be ready for when it's over. This really is an invitation to know and love God. And so uh, Acts is a great book. It goes from um, uh, miracles 
Even the beginning of this uh, thing we call the church where uh, the Holy Spirit falls down or descends in Acts chapter 2 and, and people uh, hear the gospel in their languages, which there's over nine dialects that are simply named in Acts 2. So we have this, this crazy thing going on in Acts. We've got this explosive growth growing, going throughout the church. You're seeing uh, several different kinds of miracles from people that are being healed uh, from ailments to Paul preaches one time, and he's preaching clear into the night, and this uh, 12-year-old boy um, goes to sleep, okay? He goes to sleep, falls out the window, and dies, and Paul just kind of goes, okay, just take a five-minute break, talk among yourselves, and goes down uh, and heals and brings him back to life and says, no, where was I? And just kind of continues his lecture. I mean, there's this supernatural that seems to just be permeating what's going on in the book of Acts. And it'd be very easy for us to somehow say, what I want is that. And if I can't have that, then I don't need any of it. But if I could have, like, the, the very experience Paul had, then I'd believe it. And it is so weird because I would guess that every one of you has had some kind of experience that you're trying to tell somebody else about. You go, I wish you could experience this. But, and as you're trying to describe it to them, you get that they don't get it. And you know that if they experienced it, they get it. And in the midst of wishing they could understand what you've experienced, you're somehow trying to get them to say, you're going to have to believe it's real because I really did experience it. And it's a very frustrating thing if they don't believe it. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it's a very frustrating thing. And I think Paul would be incredibly frustrated if he came to 21st century American church and there was a group of people saying, I really liked your story and if I had had that story, I believe what you believe too. I, I think that would be frustrating to him. I think he'd say, you don't have to have my experience to have my beliefs. I'm telling you what I experienced and I'm telling you in such a way that you'll believe what I'm saying because of my experience. You're going to have to trust me. And that's where a lot of people check out, going, are you kidding me? I get a vicarious experience, but I'm supposed to have a personal surrender. It just, just kind of seems like a disconnect. And, and I think part of it's because we define experience in the extraordinary. So let's just look at Paul's extraordinary conversion. It, it's in Acts chapter 9. And as we, we take a, a look at it, let's just, um, I'm going to just read the first uh, four or five verses here uh, where it says, uh, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And he neared Damascus on his journey, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. 
I mean, what a great encounter. Wouldn't it be awesome? You're just kind of on your way to work. It's a nice day you decide to walk. You're walking to work, and there's this, this lightning-type bolt of light that, that comes out of heaven, and you're going, wow, that, I wonder if we're going to be out of power again today. And so as this lightning bolt comes, it doesn't destroy you, but it kind of surrounds you, and you hear a voice saying your name, Bill. And just so you don't think I'm hearing things, it says it a second time, Bill. What do you think you're doing? What do you, who is this? This is Jesus. Oh man, am I in trouble. You know, I mean, you just kind of think, if you're Paul, I have a letter in my pocket giving me permission to kill Jesus followers. (laughs) And I'm just meeting Jesus on this road. This is not a good thing because he seems to be way more powerful than this letter I have in my pocket. Uh, If we're going to come down to uh, uh, authority, I'm in big trouble. He doesn't convert You know, I mean, most everybody says, hey, there's Paul who converts on the road to Damascus. What happens on the road to Damascus is that he finds out Jesus is for real. And and he just says, he's told, go to uh, Damascus, you'll be told what to do. He gets up, he's blind. The guys who are with him uh, lead him by the hand into Damascus. They have him staying wherever he probably already had arrangements to stay. And then it just kind of seems like it gets more bizarre. There's a guy named Ananias, and he gets a vision. And you're kind of saying, okay, stop. Let's just kind of, is anything ordinary about this? So he gets a vision. And in Ananias' vision, God says, there's a man in Damascus, and I want you to go to his house and they want you to pray over him, and his name is Saul. And Ananias says, God, don't you understand? Uh, Saul is the person that we've heard about who's killing Christians. He's the one who's arresting Christians. Don't you understand that, that this could be deadly for me, and, and it could be deadly for your church in Damascus? We're hiding from him. Now, we've heard similar things before. We heard uh, of a prophet named Jonah, who um, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell these people who are are dominating the world in cruel dictatorship form uh, about God. And Jonah's going, are you kidding me? They'll repent. And God's like, "That's, that's kind of the point. Ananias, are you kidding me? Paul's our enemy. We hide from him. And Jesus is saying, so when did you think I needed to hide from anybody? I don't need to hide from Paul. He's actually my chosen vessel to bring my name throughout the world. If we kind of look at some of the the verses that, that go around uh, Ananias' objection to it. Let's start with verse um, uh, 10. In Damascus, there was a man named, or a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord. The Lord said, go to the house of Judas on, state, state, on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, 
he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man. All of them, uh, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer. So, do you, do you start to feel the tension, not just that Ananias is afraid to go, but are you kidding me? How does someone like Paul or, or Saul become someone like Paul? How does this person who is killing and contributing to the death of Christ's followers, how is he going to be the one who becomes the tip of the spear to taking the gospel all around uh, basically that Mediterranean basin. H- how is something like that going to happen? And it's interesting that I'm sure that the church had gathered in prayer meetings. And I'm sure that they had prayed, God, please protect us from Saul. But I'm sure they never thought that the answer to that prayer might be that Saul would become a leader in the church. I'm pretty sure they thought, maybe Saul will die. Maybe he'll move on. Maybe he'll think there's another cult that's more threatening and take after them. I mean, there's got to be a way to protect us from him. Can you just distract him from us rather than make him one of us? How, how, how weird would that be? I mean, who's taking bets on that one happening? And in the midst of that, Ananias is asked to go take care of Saul. Saul says, who are you and what are you doing? And Ananias says, well, I've come uh, for a couple things. I'm here to let you know that God loves you and to make sure that you understand what it looks like to follow him and see that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's a huge person in the book of Acts, named over 70 times. He's, he's, he's the person that when Jesus ascends, we're not left alone to fend for ourselves. There's a Holy Spirit who comes as that counselor, that one who walks alongside us. And Ananias is saying to, to Paul, I want to make sure that you have him. So he prays for him, and scales fall, something like scales fall from his eyes, and he's able to see again. Man, I want that testimony. I want to be able to tell somebody, yeah, I was just, you know, walking towards Lloyd Center. This light fell from heaven. There was this voice that kind of said, Bill, wake up. You're going the wrong way. I uh, said, okay, fine. Some people led me back here to Imago. Uh, for three days, I fasted and prayed. And then Rick came back and touched my eyes, and I could see. And now I just tell people about this Jesus I met. I would love that story. But you know, we already have that story. We don't have your story, but we already have Paul's story. And and the people that heard Paul's story were impacted. 
but they're not hearing Paul's story today. And, and they don't know him. And, and you do have a story. And they do know you. And, and when God tells his story, he tells it through lives. And those lives become the scenes in the story. So God fully intends to tell a story throughout Portland, throughout each of you, whether you find yourself as an Ananias or as you find yourself as a Paul, because Ananias is going to end up staying, and Paul's going to end up being sent as a missionary. And it's fascinating to me that, that Imago even gets to be part of something like that. As we uh, investigate the idea of um, having an east side site, it, it sounds really exciting. It sounds like Apostle Paul type. So I want to be, I want that story. And, and all of us want to jump on being an Apostle Paul. And Ananias, it sounds kind of too, too ordinary. I mean, it's cool that he did the prayer and the scales fall off. That was awesome. And the vision thing was awesome. But for the most part, uh, Paul seems like he was where the action is. And I'd really like to be involved in that one. But when we think about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit... There was a father who sent a son. And when the son returned, the father and the son sent a Holy Spirit. The God we know, this father, son, and Holy Spirit God, is a sent and sending God. The son is sent and the father sent. The Holy Spirit is sent and the father and the son sent. God is a sent and sending God. And, and when we become an Imago Dei, a community that images God. We are sent and sending people. That, that we are every bit in what God is doing to send well as being the person who is sent well. And that's what Ananias is wrestling with. Are you kidding me? Why do you have to go get this guy who's killing us to let us advance? Why don't, why don't you take me? Why don't you take somebody who's faithful? Why do you have to go find this guy over here who's scary? And God's saying, can you just do your part? Because there's an awesome part to doing your part, not an awesome part to being someone else's part in, in the story. So let's just take that because in, in some ways, I'm a sensational junkie. I would love to go from sensation to sensation to sensation. But I know that there are some of you who may even be sensational, same-sessional junkies. You're just, if it's the same all the time, that would be a wonderful life for me. And, and I want you to see that, that God never changes and he does the mysterious. All of that's a picture of who God is. All of that's a picture of how God works. And together we're called the body of Christ. We image a God who does the extraordinary, often through ordinary means. So he invites us to trust him, to do something supernatural. Sometimes he invites us to trust him for the supernatural in supernatural ways. So today, after the service, um, 
the elders are inviting people who want to be prayed for for healing to come into the prayer room behind the sanctuary, and they'll pray for you. We're not saying that because we pray, God's obligated to a yes, but we're pretty sure that when God says pray for those who are sick, and if we don't do it, he might be obligated to a no. And so we obey God by praying for one another, and we believe that God heals. And sometimes he heals through stories like Paul that are extraordinary. And sometimes he heals through ordinary means called medicine. And we pray that God uses doctors and treatments. And sometimes he doesn't heal. And we trust a God who can heal that, that for him to make that decision is what it cost us to trust him rather than it's our decision. That we're actually surrendering to him and asking him to heal. He invites us to bring the desires of our heart to him. And so after service today, I want to invite you that, that if you um, want the elders of the church to pray for you, that God would heal you. Uh, the elders want to be... Um, uh, obedient to God and available to you to, to offer you that ministry. That sensational starts to be what we chase, whether it's God or whether it's a healing or whether it's something as simple as one of you decides you're going to marry someone else and the proposal. The proposal just can't be ordinary. It has to be sensational. It has to be something that if you YouTubed it, that would go viral. There has to be some way for you to be able to create a proposal that goes epic. I remember um, when I first uh, told my, my first wife, I love you. And my first wife um, was a math major at Portland State. She uh, taught math at uh, Madison High School and then at Benson High School. And um, a very... Typical from from my perspective, because I you know I think when you put numbers and letters together, you should confess that as sin. So so I don't know much about math, okay? And so um, when when she um, it, she has a, a from my perspective, she had a typical mathematician's mind and personality. So when I say to her, "I love you," I mean we all kind of know what you kind of want to have come as the payback on that one, right? We want the "I love you" too. Okay, so when I went, I love you, she goes, it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that. I'm going, are you kidding me? <laughs> that was like the most painful thing I can imagine. Thank you. <laughs> we, we don't want somebody to just describe the ordinary. <laughs> we don't want them to describe the obvious. We don't want them to share their observation. We want a sensational reaction. And sometimes we put God on this test that if he doesn't give us sensational everything, then he failed our test. And so we can't trust him for the ordinary because he didn't deliver on our expectation of the sensational. So God, protect us. Okay, I'll just talk to Paul on the road to Damascus. And then you'd think once he had that sensational conversion, he'd say, I 
have a corner on sensational conversions. I know how to set up a meeting where you'll come forward and we'll have a blinding light and there's a guy with a mic and he can say your name and and you can have the Paul experience. We'll take it on the road and it'll be awesome. And in the midst of that, it says he went to the synagogues and taught. (laughs) A very ordinary expression of something supernatural that happened. Paul didn't hold on to the extraordinary and say, the extraordinary happened in my life. He held on to the supernatural and said, the supernatural happened in my life. And sometimes it happened in extraordinary ways, like on the road to Damascus. And sometimes it happened in ordinary ways, like teaching in a synagogue or walking on a road and having a conversation or having a meal with someone. And that God is the God of the ordinary and the extraordinary. And what makes it God is when it's supernatural. And we invite him into all we do that he might tell his story, which brings the touch, the supernatural, to the story we find ourselves living. He invites us to that. And so we find ourselves in a place of asking God to do something supernatural. Supernatural with us. Supernatural as a church, as we um, ask God to let us create a presence in Southeast. That's an expression of the kingdom of God. So I'd invite you tonight to the information meeting and discern whether or not you're to be a sent one or a sender and hear the vision and be part of what happens that way. If you're someone who wants to be prayed for today, I want to invite you to come and ask God to do the supernatural more than the sensational, that he be able to tell his story with you and through you. Today, maybe you're realizing you're like Paul. You had a religion. You have a religion. You have a set of beliefs. You think you're a good person. But maybe you're just realizing I've never had a personal encounter with Jesus. I, I've never, and it's not, I'm not inviting you to the sens- sensational, but I am inviting you to the supernatural and saying that if you have never had a time where you have taken your life and acknowledged that he's alive and said, I want to be one with you, then I want to invite you to do that today. That's a supernatural act. And when he answers that prayer, that's a supernatural answer to a natural prayer. And it went from same to supernatural because of the fingerprints of God on it. And if you find yourself stuck emotionally or spiritually, having a hard time believing that, not knowing how to get off your spiritual dime, I want to encourage you to just come to these doors right at the end of the service. There'll be people there who pray with you and for you. So today, I want to make some clear pathways. You can surrender your life wherever you are. You can do that in this pew. You can do that when you leave. I just want you to consider the reality that there is a Jesus and you can live not even aware of him or totally connected to him. And the invitation is to be totally connected to him.
for others of you, you're, you're living life, but you're not thriving. And I'm not telling you, be happy. I'm telling you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to uh, talk to somebody at a door, or let someone pray with you about that. If you're someone today who is hurting physically, emotionally, and you know that uh, you believe God could touch you in a way that would make a significant difference. We want to invite you to join the elders who will pray with you and for you. Today, uh, we come to a table that is a, a declaration that things are different. That there's a Jesus who has come who takes the story and put all the color to the black and white outline that was there and invites you into this technicolor experience called grace. So I want to invite you to this table today on Jesus' behalf. Let me pray to that end. Heavenly Father, thank you that you were a perfect and divine sender, that you sent your Son and you've sent your Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for being a willing sent one. And Holy Spirit, thank you for letting us fit into your story as senders and sent ones together. So today I pray for any sticking place, any relationship, any fears, any illness. We ask that you would heal. We believe that you'll give grace. So we open ourselves up to your will and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.